welcome to the Pro Bono Happy Hour. I'm Elise Dorita. Tammy Taylor and Rena Glazer are sitting down with me today to discuss the state of law firm Pro Bono. We recently published our 2016 Law Firm Pro Bono Challenge Report, our annual report where we examine the pro bono performance of signatories to the Law Firm Pro Bono Challenge. If you'd like to access the report, you can find it on our website, www.probonoinst.org. So before we get started, for listeners who do not know, the Law Firm Pro Bono Challenge Initiative is a unique aspirational pro bono standard developed by law firm leaders and corporate general counsel. Challenge signatories publicly acknowledge their institutional, firm-wide commitment to provide 3 or 5% of their billable hours, or 60 or 100 hours per attorney annually, to pro bono legal services for low-income and disadvantaged individuals and families and nonprofit groups. So welcome, Tammy and Rena. Thanks, Elise. <laughs> so I'm just going to jump into things. Uh, pro bono performance was characterized this year as steady. Were there any areas where you saw a bigger jump? Why was it characterized as steady? Well, I think we saw a few things um, in the report this year. Uh, pro bono, per- as a percentage of total paying client billable hours, remained pretty steady, I think, Rena, at um, 3.6%, 3.64 to be exact. We want to give that 0.04%. Um, that was slightly up from 35 but I think probably that's a reflection of um, 135 law firms reporting this year versus 129 who reported in 2015. So I think, you know, even with those extra uh, firms reporting, that is a steady and, you know, even it showed a small increase, but steady increase. Um, attorney participation was steady. Um, we're at a healthy 75%. I'm going to round up there just a little bit because we all want round numbers. Um, so that's, I think that's a great thing to have a 75% participation rate across the board. So what, what does that mean, 75% participation rate? 75% of all attorneys in each firm who've reported across the board are participating in pro bono. Um, as people probably know, or I hope they know, we don't have a minimum level of pro bono participation. Any amount that you do counts as far as for purposes of the challenge. So if you've got someone in your firm who participates at a half an hour, we count that as participation as long as you report it to us. Uh, so, you know, 75% of your folks are participating in pro bono, and that's huge. I think that's great, and I don't want to bury, you know, the good news, (laughs) and this is where I think steady, steady is (laughs) good, there's nothing wrong with steady, steady is amazing, and so, you know, looking back, when you drafted the challenge, you hoped, the aspiration was that a majority, 51%, right, and (laughs) 50.5% would do it, and we're routinely hitting sort of 75%. 70, 75%. Yeah. I think that's a that's um, very commendable on the part of challenge signatory firms. Uh, the fact that you're doing that, managing to do that at a time when headcounts are declining, you've got a uh, tighter time to work with, you know, there's a better work-life balance than there was when the challenge was drafted. So I think, you know, having a 75% participation rate is fabulous. And, and what it tells me is that pro bono is broad. It is part of the fabric of the firm, right? You have 75% That's great. Yeah. Of, of people participating, which is a fantastic metric as opposed to, let's say, 
a few people at the firm who are just doing tons of pro bono, right? I mean, so the end result might be similar in terms of hours, let's say, you know, if you thought about it that way, but it's so much stronger when it's spread. You, you develop fans, you develop broader ownership of the program. It really feels like it's part of the culture and what it means to be a lawyer here, what it means to be a lawyer in general. So I think it becomes embedded and stronger when you see participation rates being high. And I think it allows for folks to address and assist in so many other ways than if you did just have that small concentration of folks Uh, So, you know, this particular, I think, principle of the challenge has been um, incredibly successful. Um, Encourage you to keep it up. Um, Another place, I think, um, I just mentioned one other place where we've um, been steady, we've seen steady, and that is uh, in the percentage of time devoted to those of limited means. Um, It's, uh, I think, Principle three of the challenge, if I'm remembering correctly, um, asks that a majority of the time spent on pro bono be devoted to those of limited means or organizations serving them. And we are consistently hitting, or you are actually, consistently hitting 69% of your time, which again is a fabulous metric and shows that you're really, you've taken the spirit of the challenge and increase your ability to serve those who are most in need of the services you're offering. I think that's, um, that's, that's a great thing to do. Okay, I'll jump in. I know, I think Elise was going to ask us a little more about this later, but let's talk about it now since, <laughs> since we're on point. Um, I do think historically, when we talk about the heart of the challenge, right, why why a group of leaders got together and spent so much time trying to drive this project. It really was about legal services it was. for the poor, for the underserved, for Seeing the low that population income. who had no other means of accessing justice. And, and I think, you know, you can dance around it, you can talk about sort of the full panoply of pro bono opportunities, but if you cut to the chase and cut to the core... Right. That's really what it's about. So, eye on the ball. And, and that is, uh, Tammy mentioned, memorialized in the language of the challenge and the goal of the challenge. And um, I think it is reassuring to see the commitment in the data. And you can ask, you know, why is it important that we track this particular slice of pro bono work, right? Why, why are we even looking at this separate from pro bono writ large? And it, it is, of course, because it's one of your commitments, so we track certain things that people have signed on for, and that's one of them. So we want to see if firms are meeting their goal. But I think now, and this is particularly acute in this climate, it's also for political or policy reasons. You're right. Right? And when we... Uh, are are looking and thinking about our chronically under-resourced uh, commitment to civil legal aid in this country. And it's on our mind, right? LSC just produced uh, a report that, that we've written about and we've tweeted about, and you can find it chronicling the justice gap. Um, and at a time when 
we're having to advocate and, and fight for uh, basic resources, right, and basic funding for, for civil legal aid, it's clear that pro bono is never going to be the solution, right? Pro bono can never supplant adequate funding and full funding for, it wasn't intended for legal to. aid. It was never intended to. That is great. It is a, a tool, right? right. It, it, it is an, a, an adjunct, a complement. It is never the be-all and end-all. It never could. So at a time when uh, supporters of legal services are having to make the case and, and, and make the case more and more and deeper and more frequently, it's really important to have this data so that we're able to say the private bar has stepped up to the plate, right? We are, uh, through our time, doing uh, as much as we possibly can. Um, and, and that we cannot be a replacement for, for legal aid and for funding legal services. And indeed, without legal services, pro bono would collapse, right? We would right. see not more because we walk into the breach, but a step down because law firms can't do um, pro bono without their legal services partners, and that takes resources. A critical piece of being able to provide pro bono are the legal services partners who have the expertise, who know what's going on on the ground, who are connected to the community. Necessary, absolutely. And so that, I think it's another reason why the data is important and why it's, it's necessary. It's not a luxury. We really need to know this information. And I, I, I thank the firms that have stepped up their effort to track this and report this. We've, we've had some time in our history where we haven't been able to because the information that we've received hasn't been as robust or as reliable. And uh, so keep it up. I think it's really important, arguably more important now than ever before. All right. Good point, Rena. So some of the places where we have seen jumps this year, um, as opposed to holding steady, and we congratulate all of those who have made increases in your commitment to pro bono. One of the biggest places, and I think Rena can probably address this too, but we found 27 firms who reported this year increased your pro bono hours by more than 20% over what you did in 2015. And that is just huge. The, you've, you've got a successful program going already, and the fact that you increased your, your participation, your hours, by another 20% over what you did in, previous, in a previous year, um, we'll be calling on you <laughs> just to, to see what you've done. You know, was it, was it a big matter that finished? Or have you made some incredible stride forward in how your program is handling pro bono, managing your hours, we're very intrigued by it, but also, wow, what a great job. So, hey, Elise, was that 20% of all of the responders, the 27? I think it was about 20%, because we had a nice little 20% improved by 20% yeah. or more. It was like 2020, right. <laughs> like 2020 or something like that. Um, my takeaway from that is there's room for growth, right? And, and so no matter where you are, that should be encouraging to you that these firms have done it, and you can take big strides too. Yeah. Um, we're here to help you do that. Uh, you know, we, we're calling us. We're here. Um, so another place for jumps, 
Um, and this is, again, um, really huge. And uh, it's charitable donations. Charitable donations this year, one less firm reported, and yet average donations went up to 503000 per firm. That was almost a 10% increase over 2015 numbers. That, in addition to the increase in hours this year, um, I, I, that's fabulous. I, I keep using that word, I know, but I think it really... It speaks to your dedication not only to the time you put in, but understanding that you need to give in dollars as well to support those legal services programs, um, understanding that they are under-resourced and can use both. And it's, it's a testament to the strength of firms believing in what's going on and how they're working with their partners to support and um, bring them up as well. It's a lot of impressive generosity, and I think it ties to what we were talking about earlier, that it's also more ammunition that we as a society need, as, our, you know, as a matter of policy, to fund legal services. And we can't just rely on donations, because we're already getting a lot of donations, <laughs> right? Like, people are being generous, both with their money and their time. And so I think it's also helpful on the policy front to, to have that information. Right. And we know that that's not a, a um, required response on the challenge report, but we do you know, commend all of the firms who have responded to our request for that information. Um, it's, it's incredibly helpful to us. I know we've made pleas in the past um, from Legal Services Corporation to give that information, so thank you for uh, filling in that, that optional question there. Um, another jump that we saw this year was in average hours per attorney. Now the challenge doesn't really measure that way. Some firms do have the opportunity to report um, average number of hours per attorney, but you know we measure by percentage. But this year um, we looked at it and you're up to 62 hours per attorney on average. Um, that was up from 59 hours in 2015. Um, again, at a time when, when headcounts are, are tightening, um, and you know you're spending more time on, on billable matters. The fact that you've also increased our average hours per attorney pro bono is um, is commendable and another testament to the strength of your pro bono programs. And I think you know one last piece that I want to mention, and it's it's something that we haven't measured all the time um, when we've done the the challenge report and asked you to fill in the questions. And that is, we've started breaking out uh, different levels of attorneys. So we used to start with, we used to have only partners and associates, and then we started asking you about partners, associates, and counsel, and then we started asking about partners, associates, counsel, and staff attorneys slash other. Um, and we never really had enough information to uh, break it out, uh, the, the, the other categories, the counsel, staff attorneys. But we did this year and, and last year, and we've seen a modest increase in the participation rates of staff and other attorneys, which is an interesting metric to look at, given that the generally staff slash other attorneys are hourly and not um, a, a salaried position. So pro bono is being 
paid for by the firm and it's an interesting new step in how to encourage and uh, encourage participation by other people in the firm not otherwise known as associates. That's great. And I think it shows, uh, again, the core value of pro bono. It's, it's not just for salaried lawyers, or it's not just for partnership track lawyers, or it's, it's for all of us. And I think it's been a process. It's hard to figure out how to administer programs for different sort of categories of lawyers or different people with different schedules. And, you know, it's across the board. There are always challenges. But this was heartening to see uh, people figuring it out and people getting involved. It was. It was a. It's. It. It is a broadening of participation within the firm, which is, as Rena has said, goes to the the inculcation of pro bono as an integral part of what a law firm does um, as part of its daily business. Great. So some of those statistics that we just talked about, we actually have broken down by firm size in the past. So this year we did an additional statistic by firm size. We analyzed the uh, hours per attorney. So what is the benefit to analyzing data by firm size? So I, I was thinking about this, and it's interesting. I don't know, Tammy, if you have a gut reaction or memory over the course of the 20-plus years of the challenge. I think it shows, I think the demographics of law firms have really changed, right? If you think back, you know, sort of 20-plus years, what was considered a large firm, right? you know, Probably five to seven hundred attorneys right. at most. That was mega, mega, <laughs> mega, right? It sort was. of. And and now we're in a world where you've got, you know, firms with several thousand lawyers and growing right? every day. Right? And so that's kind of on one end of the spectrum. The other end of the spectrum are firms with fifty. 60, 70, 200 lawyers, because our population, our demographic is really firms with 50 lawyers or more. So, you know, one end of the spectrum, you know, 200 and fewer, 1,000 plus, that's a big range, right? It's a that's big range, and the structure is different, the needs are different, all of it is different. The markets are different for the different sizes, so breaking it down yeah. this year. culture, geography, sort of all of those things. And we thought, you know, I think last year was the first year it kind of occurred to us, well, we get this data, <laughs> right, because we get information about numbers of lawyers at the firm, headcounts, numbers of lawyers participating. Why don't we slice and dice it and see if we can um, look at, A, are there any differences between kind of sizes of firms and their pro bono performance, similarities, who knows, we didn't really know, we didn't prejudge, we just thought maybe this would be interesting, and it would be interesting, I think, to be able to compare like to like, because if, if you're running a pro bono program at a firm with, you know, 200 lawyers, Maybe you're wondering how you compare to like-size firms. It's sort of, mm, the, the lawyer, uh, a firm with 2,000 lawyers just seems very different to you. You know, right. maybe, you know, you don't have that much in common, your needs, your challenges. I'd like to look at, you know, firms that look more like me, at least based on size. So we could do it, and thanks to our math expert, Elise, we, we, we were able to do it, and the buckets or the categories that we looked at, we used our membership categories. So 
this is time for a little commercial because it's membership season, right? <laughs> so if you are interested in renewing your membership in the Law Firm Pro Bono Project or you're thinking about joining, um, now's the time. We'd love to have you. You could learn more on the web, probonoinst.org. Learn more about membership. Um, and thank you for your support. So the categories of firms we used correspond to the various categories of membership. So there's sort of the 50 to 199 lawyer bucket, then 200 to 499, 500 to 999, and then 1,000 plus. Those were our buckets. And we looked at pro bono percent, sort of the 3% to 5% or what percent of your billable time. We looked at average hours per attorney and we looked at attorney participation rates and just some big takeaways. For every metric, the firms with a thousand lawyers or more did better. They, they sort of were performing better. Why do you think that is? Elise, do you have any ideas? Um, I think maybe resources. I mean, the bigger you are, probably the more resources you can have, and you might be able to have maybe more time to dedicate and, I guess, push around. But statistically, yeah, I guess it's just the amount of people. Like, yeah. the bigger your sample size, the bigger you're going to be able to do yeah. things. Yeah, and it probably smooths any variation, right. right? So if you're a smaller firm and you've gotten really busy with commercial work and people are really stretched that little bit of step back is going to have a more magnified, uh, I think, result because of just the numbers. It's sort of a numbers thing, you know, kind of what will upset the apple cart, you know. Right, or the larger the population size, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you have one small step, it's not going to impact that. You'll exactly. feel the footprint more. I thought it was also interesting that the thousand plus firms tended to actually also be a smaller number in our sample. It was only 16 or 17 firms. So the, I don't know if that plays into maybe they're just kind of high performers. And so in general, that, that came about. Um, it is not always true, though, that the smallest size firm is sort of the, the lower performer. Right. It's not linear. You know, you don't go step up, step up, step up, step up. There's some back and forths. So that's interesting, right? And I think, you know, it, it shows that this is complicated <laughs> and there's a lot going on here. I also think, and please look at the report for all the numbers, um, the spread isn't that wide. So even if you're doing better, you're not doing better by that much. I mean, everyone is sort of of a piece and a pace. So the, the range is not kind of off the charts crazy. They're pretty bunched. They're right. pretty bunched. There, there isn't a huge, as Rena said, there isn't a huge variation between the lowest and the highest performers. It's, it's, very, it's a very narrow Which I think is step. interesting. So again, maybe that's kind of a function of the math or the data set or the population. But I do think this is an interesting way to slice and dice the data. And I think you can look and see how do you compare against firms of a size similar to yours. Which actually leads me to a different commercial. Ah, um, as folks know who've asked us, we can provide uh, comparison data for a pool of your firms. Um, obviously, we don't do that in any sort of way to identify anyone. But if you do want to compare yourself to a, a set of peer firms, um, you know, let us know and we can run the data. Um, it's all anonymized, so there's no way anyone can pick out any other firm in it. 
um, but we do make those available. We also have our dashboards that Elise is great at uh, um, creating uh, that shows how your firm has done in the challenge um, as you've reported to us over however many years you've been participating. 21 years for most of you, um, less for others. Um, so there's another little commercial for things that we can do with the challenge data you provide us. And one more, there's always room for new firms. There's that too. So think about joining <laughs> the challenge. Never too late. So what are the biggest areas you see for improvement? I can jump in um, with one. Um, I would say, you know, although I said participation was great, there's always room for more participants, not only as challenge signatories, but within firms. If you've got some folks hanging out there who you think should be doing pro bono, haven't done it in the past, you know, what are their reasons? Reach out to them, find out what moves them, what strikes their fancy, you know, what, what are they participating in outside of work hours. Um, see if there's some need there that you can entice them into uh, participating in pro bono. If it's not that, maybe mentoring younger associates, uh, associates if it's an older partner. Um, there are so many ways to be involved and so much need that I think for me one of the biggest areas of improvement is just continuing to broaden the participation. Let's get to 100. We like it. So we talked about doing a little round robin. Talking about ways that we think that people can improve or help them improve. So I, I will get it started. I think that, like you said, the dashboards are kind of being introspective and looking at your performance and reevaluating is probably a way you can improve and figure out where you want to improve and how you're going to improve. Find out who's not recording their time. There is a lot of time being left on the table. Um, you know, partners who don't record time because they don't think it's important, associates who don't get their time in because it's pro bono and they don't think it's valuable or valued. Um, there, I, I am a firm believer that for every hour that's recorded, there is some measure of hour that's not being written down and cataloged into either pro bono time or whatever other time you might have to record, but there's time being left on the table. So that would be another place. That's a great place to start. You're already <laughs> doing that work, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> You've done it. Just record it. Exactly. Okay, so mine... Oh, another commercial, because we're going to be talking about this in much greater depth on an upcoming episode of The Pod. So if you're interested, definitely tune in. And that is Create an Externship, or a Loaned Lawyer Program. If you create a program where you send one of your lawyers to work full-time at a legal services program for six months, for nine months, for a year and then they return to the firm. Okay, they remain an employee of the firm during that time, but they're basically doing 100% pro bono. Your hours go way up because you're basically getting a full-time pro bono person. So, boom, you've gotten 900 or 1,800 hours of pro bono. Um, so just on the hours front, those programs really help. But you also really increase your expertise, your commitment, your relationship to that legal yes. services organization, the value add that you've given them by helping them have 
for all intents and purposes, an extra staff attorney. Um, so I would say think about creating or enhancing a program like that. And if you have concerns or worries, don't worry. Listen to our episode because we will um, allay all your fears. <laughs> so I think kind of in hand with that is one of our podcasts talked about this recently is um, kind of to motivate pick projects that are personal to you and that might be helpful in getting someone started that maybe wouldn't have before and then that can lead to more and who knows you develop the expertise there you start multiplying the people within the firm with the expertise Mm -hmm. and it just kind of morphs into something even bigger than that one person getting involved yeah great idea it's like a bonus round. Do you have more, Tammy? <laughs> um, I probably, of course I do. Um, so align the program, the firm's pro bono program with other firm goals. Professional development, client partnerships. What are those firm goals? And how can the pro bono program um, align with them and uh, make them more robust? How can it improve the morale of the people participating? Just see where the pro bono program fits in with the rest if you haven't already done that. You know, do some strategic planning with your program and see where you can move the needle forward. That's a great one. Me? Yeah. Okay, I would say conduct an assessment. Figure out where your weaknesses are. Is there a certain cohort that isn't doing well? Why? Is there an office that isn't engaged? Why? Is there a practice group that isn't kind of performing up to where you want them to be? Why? And then you can laser focus. Sort of, so figure out a problem area and go after it. Right. So I guess I'll end on this one more idea is no one is too big to do pro bono. So if you are higher up in the firm, I think getting involved is important because it motivates people who respect you, admire you, or just, you know, want to impress you to do pro bono. And um, I think it's important to have everyone show up because then they'll want to show up as well. Um, We're going to do a quick commercial break and we'll be back shortly. Looking forward to the PBI annual dinner. The dinner will be held at an earlier date this year at Gotham Hall in New York City on Thursday night, September 28th. More information can be found on our website, probonoinst.org, or call Kelly Simon at 202-729-6691. So back to our regularly scheduled programming. Um, (laughs) So there are... Anxious and uncertain times right now. Do we see an increased need for pro bono in the coming years? I think it's a resounding yes. Um, That was an easy one. I like those kind of questions. (laughs) Uh, You know, we've said earlier in this pod that that pro bono can never be the end-all, be-all for solving the legal services problems that we have in this country. But it is an exceptional way to address some of them to make some um, changes systemically, which I think is one of the ways we need to move even more than we already have. It's a way to provide training for young associates. It's a way to involve, get involved in the community in which you're living and to help make a difference in your world. So I think that pro bono, yeah, we're going to have to keep doing it. I think there's the need is always going to be there, um, and there are so many reasons to continue it. 
So I would say the flip side of this, what did you call it? The anxious and uncertain times, right? The anxiety point is that enthusiasm and interest and engagement is high. I think people know there's the need and they want to get involved. So I think the challenge for pro bono leaders is to channel this enthusiasm efficiently so that it's not wasted and that it's leveraged to the greater good to fulfill your pro bono goals, the needs of your community in the most efficient and meaningful way possible. Um, and that I think that one of the greatest solutions to people feeling anxious or hopeless or um, discombobulated or defeated is to help others. It's empowering and you feel like you're doing more than whining, right? Right. Um, I was at, uh, I heard a talk Oh, it was a couple months ago, I guess, about something completely unrelated to this. And the speaker had a really good call to action. And basically she said, you can either wring your hands or you can roll up your sleeves and get to work. You physically cannot do both at the same time. And that's true. I'm doing it now. You, you cannot do it. see it. You cannot do it. So let's roll up our sleeves. Let's do pro bono. Let's make access to justice better, let's make our communities better. So I think turning it around and really empowering people is part of the opportunity that this moment offers. Let's all get on the Rena bandwagon. <laughs> <laughs> At the same time as we can't forget about the bread and butter pro bono issues, even though people are really excited to do these really, I guess, as you say, sexy things right now, but um, I guess it's important not to forget about those more bread and butter day-to-day -day issues. That is a great point, Elise, um, that, you know, we, we are confronted right now by all of these um, sexy, as you call them, issues, um, you know, going to the airport, stopping the travel ban, jumping to the next hot-button issue, but we have to also remember that there's so many people out there dealing with day-to-day -day issues. How do I pay my rent? How do I get rid of my debt? How do I get food on the table? Um, that we have to be cognizant um, of, of those bread and butter issues that just are always going to be there and still need to be done, even as we fight the bigger fights um, that are out there. Great. Thank you both for joining me today, and I can't wait to do it again next year. New and archive episodes of the podcast can be found on Apple Podcasts and YouTube. Be sure to subscribe if you haven't already. Please take a moment to leave an Apple Podcast review. It is quick and easy to do. We'd appreciate the feedback and would help make it easier for other listeners to find the show and expand the conversation about pro bono and access to justice. We'd love to hear from you. Send your comments, feedback, and questions to pro bono at probonoinst.org.